with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good day everyone, wherever you are. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles right here on Tojinet. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper of the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. With me, I have the queen of pain herself, my co-author of Ghost Chronicles and more Ghost Chronicles and Ghost yeah. Today. No, Ghost, more Ghost Chronicles. Yeah. See, you're confusing me. You threw me out of my rhythm. Now it's all effed up and I blame you. <laughs> Uh, and that's okay. Yeah. No I've Anyways, Maureen Wood. There you go. Hi. How you doing? Oh, that was good. Anyways, also I joining know. us. Well, thank here. you for having me here. How's that? Yeah. Also, yeah. also <laughs> joining us. Joining from the, us from the. Oh, great. Oh, great. Is. I know. I have that. Hello, hello, hello. Anyway, uh, joining us from the South Coast is Mr. Spooky South Coast himself, Tim Weisberg. Good evening. How are you doing tonight? Oh, just ducky, can't you tell? <laughs> I know the feeling. It's going to get better. It can only go up. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, Tim, uh, we've been on your show like 100 years ago, and uh, it always impressed me because you were in such a beautiful location. So I couldn't wait to go back. Anyway, uh, thanks for joining us. He is the the long, long, how, how many years have you been doing that Spooky South Coast? Uh, next month, we will celebrate 18 years on the air. Wow, that's pretty good. That's about the same time I've been. That's funny. So, yeah, yeah we're, the, we're the old men of the paranormal radio game, I guess. Wow. And, and say that again. Yeah, but you, well, yeah. But you also, shut up. Uh, but you, <laughs> but you also uh, are author. You are just releasing a new book, or did you release it already? Haunted Objects. So uh, Chris Balzano and I wrote a book together about a decade ago called Haunted yeah. Objects, it was and good. we thank you. We um we just re-released it, uh, but then we had a technical issue with it, so now we're reworking it again, and then we'll re-re-release it. A re-release? Oh, I've never had one of those. It's basically what happens when you screw up the re-release. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you know, the funny part about it is that uh, years ago, and it was before your book came out, I, I approached, uh, and, and I'm not trying to take anything away from you, by the way. Uh, I approached uh, my publisher at the time. And I said, how about if we do a book on, you know, like haunted objects? And she said, hell no. She says, that's maybe a chapter in a book. But yet, you had a book out. It came out. It was great. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm i just so envious of you because it, it, I always thought it was a great idea. And well, it, it was it was weird because it was written for a company that didn't write that didn't publish paranormal content. It was a, a company that wrote books for coin collectors and stamp collectors and things like that. Oh, wow. And they were just looking for something related to 
you know, it was some, something else that people might collect, which would be haunted objects. So it kind of fell in that way. And then the publisher didn't really do a whole lot to promote it. It kind of fell by the wayside. Then the publisher got purchased by Penguin and we got all excited because we're like, oh, are we Penguin authors now? But then they ended up closing up shop on the uh, on the imprint that published it and then it went out of print. So Chris and I got the rights back a few years ago and we decided we were going to just re-release it on our own. So is it yeah, difficult writing a book book like, you know, because he's in Florida and you're in Rhode Island. You still live in Rhode Island? Uh, Massachusetts, South Coast of Massachusetts. So uh, it, it I, was I, actually not hard at all because Chris and I, even when he lived in Massachusetts, we always communicated over social media or over emails or texts. So it was really no different whether he was in Florida or whether he was in Massachusetts, you know, working together on things. And it, it worked out really, really well. Hmm. I just love your voice, Tim, by the way. I could just listen to you all day. Thank you. I'm, I'm using a mixer that has a lot of processing on it. So, oh, it's so great. Oh, man, if I only had a voice like that. Oh, anyway. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm excited about it. It's going to have a re when's the re release, re release, re release, release. We're whatever. still working on some <laughs> formatting things to, to get it to look, uh, look its best. It was our first crack at self publishing. And so, uh, obviously, you know, we, we don't have the same experience other people do. So, uh, hopefully we can get it out sometime after the holidays and get it into people's hands because we were surprised that so many people um, wanted it because the original version's been out of print for so long and it's rare that copies show up online used. So when they do, they go for a pretty penny. So people have been clamoring for this and we put some new stories in it and some updated stuff. Chris really, really worked hard on it. Um, he did, you know, he did all the work really. And so um, we're excited to see what people think about it. And maybe, maybe it might lead to a haunted objects too. There you go. And, uh, you know, I surprised you said that because, you know, uh, Tim, you're, you're also, you work newspapers and stuff too, right? Yeah, I worked for the New Bedford Standard Times for a little over 20 years. Um, I started when I was in college writing a wrestling column and then I started <laughs> covering high school sports and, um, but that's what got me, got my foot in the door at the radio station, WBSM. And, um, about, well, 2017, I became a full-time employee of WBSM, started pulling back a little bit on the newspaper work, and then uh, following the pandemic, you know, they really cut back. So I finished up that football season and that high school sports season in, in 2020, and um, after that, I kind of just retired from the newspaper game, and I put all my efforts now into WBSM, and I recently became the brand manager, so I basically, you know, run things over there now, host the morning show, so it's really uh, kind of taken over my life. So it's not just paranormal that you're doing over there. No, uh, I do every morning. I'm on from 6 to 9 a.m. talking about, you know, general stuff, getting people up and ready for the morning, talking about local news and whatever the big stories are of the day. And you never know where the conversation would go. Sometimes we will talk a little paranormal. Sometimes we'll talk about food. Sometimes today we were talking about um, when Massachusetts had blue laws and if people wish that they could go back to the days when stores were closed on Sunday. And surprisingly enough, there were people that did say they missed those days and they, they wish stores would close again on Sunday. Oh, you can count me in that group. Really? You'd rather have the data? I'd rather, I'd rather have those people spend time with their family or, or enjoy themselves than, the, you know, make it convenient to run down and get my liquor or uh, my uh, whatever I need uh, from the stores. So you're also assuming their the families want them work full time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm not in. I don't think it's a bad thing 
but I remember those days, but I will tell you that if people are working, you know, 50, 60 hours a week and the only day they have off is the weekend or even just a Sunday, they could be working six days a week. That would be a little challenging, don't you think? No, not really, because nowadays it's a, it's a uh, you know, online world. I mean, shopping uh, online. Yeah, people just buy so much crap on uh, online now. In fact, I saw a great thing on uh, uh, Facebook. I think it was from Kelly Spangley. Says you want to get rid of your unwanted junk, put it in the Amazon boxes, and leave it on your porch. So I thought, you know, <laughs> everybody shops yeah. the Amazon now. Well, true. I think I probably the guy comes here maybe once a day, but I will say too that I'm not really pro being regulated anymore by anything. Yeah. Or anyone. Well, there you yeah, go. I don't want the the government to tell me I can't do X Y Z. Oh, listen saying. to her. She's gonna, if she <laughs> wants to saying. shop on a Sunday, she's going to shop on a Sunday. You can't yeah, stop her. Exactly. Yeah. Go back, back to your own country. Won't. Well, I probably won't. But it's the idea I could, <laughs> right? That's to me is, I don't know, choice. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not you can tell I'm in a mood today, right? It's not choice for the person you're making work on a Sunday. <laughs> well, nobody's making somebody work. Oh, yes, they do. Don't tell me that crap. Oh, I, I have. I do. See, you know. Oh, Tim. I have in the past, too. But that doesn't. if that's the job you have and you choose to work, that's one thing. What if oh. they want to work because they want to make the money and yeah, you took you the day away from the dole like everybody else? Uh, yeah, that's fine. How do we I get spent 17 years? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I spent 17 years <laughs> as a breakfast cook and I, I worked in a diner and the rule was if you don't work Sundays, you don't work here. There you go. Really? See, you know, yeah. Tim. And well, I work for Macy's. We we were, uh, you know, you had it. Sunday was one of the days. You worked one full weekend. You worked a a Saturday or a Sunday, and then you had a weekend off. That was the, the rotation. You, you was no excuses. You had to work Sundays, one of those weeks, uh, two Sundays uh, a month. Well, I was the diesel mechanic in training for the MBTA, and I had to work. So what are you complaining about? Can we I go back to paranormal? I didn't choose to. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Anyways, Tim, if people want to find out more about you, how can they besides this show? Well, the uh, easiest way is learn nothing from here. <laughs> hey, listen, he, he's the one who brought the subject up. Just saying. No, we didn't. Son. Moving on. That's true. This, this is what happens uh, in the mornings is you never know where the conversation is going to go. Uh, but um, yeah, I, you can follow along with everything I do on the spooky South website. And of course on my social media, I'm pretty much at Tim Weisberg everywhere or um, on Facebook. I have to be, Facebook.com slash the other Tim Weisberg because of the guy that played the flute in the 70s. He beat me to the Facebook page. I saw that. I was I went today to, to look at it. It's like, who the hell is this dude? I don't know any flutists. I didn't know you did flutes. I'll have to ask about that. I, I do not. But people people think that I'm that guy all the time. I, I get emails from people that say, oh, I saw you at Monterey Jazz in 74. And why did you play this song and not that song? And I have to tell them, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm a different Tim Weisberg, but then I wonder what happens if he gets emails that were meant for me. And it's like, dear Tim, I have a demon in my house. Can you come help me get rid of it? And he's like, what? <laughs> I just play the flute. How can I help? Yeah, you, you could have you said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't I good at Monterey? You want my autograph? Well, he's got more Grammys than me. So I think, uh, I think well, he that's wins. What I mean. You could have, you could have, you could have, you could have get, you know, forged his autograph. I mean, your autograph, it's your name. So he's like, and, yeah, I'll sign your bra. No problem. Hey, Moving he on. might win. No, they just asked the, me. They just asked uh, me to know, sign flutes. Oh, yeah, he 
he might win in the music field, but certainly not the paranormal. So yeah, it's only one Tim Weisberg. That's right. Banned by so most. I have reputable... a question. Wait a minute, banned by most reputable places in the, <laughs> on the paranormal. <laughs> but we'll get into that after Maureen's question. All right. Well, the question I have is, I'm sorry, I have not had the, I haven't been fortunate enough to read the book, Haunted Objects. Um, however, I'm curious. I know. I just was looking at, I was looking online for it anyway. Um, but do you collect them as well? Or do you just go out, you're helping people to, to solve their issues after they've uh, obtained a haunted object? What, you know, what was the case? For, for, for a while, I was willing to take them off people's hands. And really, I still would. If anybody ever reached out to me, um, I'd be happy to help you. Either I'll take it or I'll facilitate somebody like John Zaff is taking it for you. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But I, I just don't have the space anymore for things. I, I downsized and moved into an apartment. And so I don't really have the room that I used to have. I used to keep things out in my shed so that just in case, you know, it was, an, it was away from the house enough that it wasn't going to cause any mm -hmm. problems. But there are still some items like I, I wrote an article for, for our radio station's website saying if anybody has a Ouija board, you know, and you don't want it, I'll be happy to take it off your hands and give it a good home. And I, I thought, you know, it was kind of just tongue in cheek. I didn't think anybody would take me up on it. But um, a, a week doesn't go by where I don't get an email from somebody saying I have a Ouija board I want to send you. I want it gone from my house. It'll make my wife feel better, whatever it may be. And I'm like, yeah, send it along. I'll take it. Um, the go. funny thing is, is, you know, they, they never actually arrive in the mail, which is kind of strange. Paranormal. That's what it is. It's paranormal. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe somebody's scoping out your email, going and taking them before you get them. Yeah, porch pirates. I mean, if if they're haunted <laughs> and they they have spirits attached to them, then they're getting what they ask for. So. Or maybe they're just walking away. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I mean, there a lot of people collect now. Uh, you know, you have the paranormal couple which are collectors and you have uh danny radical who's a collector and you know and tim weisberg he's a collector not weisberg you're weisberg uh <laughs> tim shaw <laughs> what the hell am i been drinking i don't know anyway uh yeah so why do you think it's such a popular to own haunted objects i think people like the well, I, I think it's twofold. One is it's it's if you're going to collect something, why not collect something that has a good story behind it? Uh, something where when people come over and look at it and they can say, well, what's up with this doll? Or, you know, tell me about that painting. It's a lot better to have a cool story behind it rather than just say, ah, I bought it at a flea market and I thought it looked cool. Uh, and then the other part is I think a lot of people who do collect them do want to help people. They want to take them away from the people who are uncomfortable by with those objects. But at the same time, you know, you don't want to just throw it in the trash because if there is something attached to it, there's got to be a reason for that. So I think a lot of the folks that collect them want to give those those objects a, a loving home. Yeah. You see, I or have sell on eBay. I have yeah, I sell on eBay. That's the other thing. <laughs> like Grandpa's cane, the original one. Uh, but you know, I have an object that that came in the mail and. It's actually destroying the world. I don't know what to do with it. I can't make up my mind. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's scaring me. Maybe I should consult, you know, Zappos or someone like that on it. Uh, but yeah. You'd always be the guy I send people to first. <laughs> That's the thing. I have no idea where it came from. Uh, it, I, I, 
one day in the mail, I received a package and inside the package was a copy of my book, uh, Ghost Today. And inside the picture, inside the Ghost the Day book was a picture of two girls. It's just an ordinary picture. But ever since I've got, and there was no turn address, nothing on it. And ever since I got that, everything in the world has gone apart. Hell, you know, we got the pandemic, we got the wars, we got the earthquakes, we got everything, and it's all my fault. I don't know what to I was going to say, COVID is your fault, Ron? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 I have to own up to it. It's all my fault because I haven't been able to deal with this photograph. I mean, I put it on Facebook so maybe somebody could identify it, but no, it hasn't happened. Yeah, so. Yeah, meanwhile, they Ron, they were, I was going to say, meanwhile, they were sending you that book to have you sign it and return it, and you just hung on to exactly. it, you jerk. <laughs> so you think that's what the Chris is then? <laughs> really yeah, you sign that book. Everything will be fine. There'll be peace in the Middle East. Uh, you know, nobody will ever go yeah, hungry I, again. It'll yeah, be, it'll you know. work out great. So, that all that being said and put aside, how, how often do you think we create our own experience with haunted objects? You know, because we have, you know, we all have superstition. You, you, you follow sports, so you know that there's nothing more superstitious than the pro or and actually any athlete. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've had conversations with pro athletes about that where, um, you know, I spent uh, 20 years covering the Patriots, 10 years covering the Celtics. And, you know, I kind of started to get to know a lot of the players, different quirks and the things that they would do. And, and they said, listen, I'm not superstitious in any other part of my life except for when it comes to the game. And I want to make sure that I'm, you know, giving my team every advantage or just avoiding any disadvantage. So I follow these superstitions. And then I would always say something like, well, if you're walking down the street and you see a crack in the, in the street, do you step on it or do you avoid it? Well, I avoid it. If you see a ladder set up, do you walk, do you walk underneath it or do you walk around it? Well, I walk around it. So you are more superstitious than you think you are. I think most people are because we're aware of them. And our general thought process is don't take the chance. So when we, when we go out to a, a yard sale or a flea market and we see a creepy looking doll, you know, there's those of us who say, wow, I'd love to have that on my shelf. And then there's other people that look at it and say, you know what, maybe it's a better idea to just leave it there because I don't know what could be attached to it. Fair enough. But I mean, it seems like it's prevalent in sports though. I mean, you, you know, you have your own spot in the, I mean, I played hockey for a hundred years and, you know, you have your own seat in the locker room. You sat, you know, you wore one sock this way, you wore another one this way, you didn't do this, you didn't, you know, it's all, everybody had their rituals in there. It's so prevalent, but do you think that goes back to like, like, you know, because sports are, what's a, oh, has that echo oh, again? You're echoing you're again, see, again. You're starting you're something. starting something. Ooh, this Ooh. is weird. This is weird. See, I told you, yeah, Chris. Yeah, uh, you better sign that book quick. Yeah. Okay, it's gone again. And there you go. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that was. This, this is weird. I blame Ted. <laughs> but any, I mean, do you think it goes back to like, you know, because sports are, are basically a, uh, a tribal warfare, uh, civilized equivalent of tribal warfare. Do you think it goes back to our, our early days where we've carried these superstitions, these with us. Yeah. Because when you think about it, those battles that you went into, you know, you didn't think that you were in control of what was going on. It was always, there was some other 
um, some other destiny involved in it. So, you know, if you were an ancient Greek or an ancient Roman, you know, you had your God or goddess of war that was leading you. Uh, you know, other people might think it's God, it's God himself or herself that's leading you. Other people might think that it's, um, you know, uh, some sort of other deity. So you always kind of put it in and put that trust and faith in the hands of somebody else. And the reason you did that really more than anything is because then anything that you did, it wasn't really on your conscience because you were doing it for that higher power. So, you know, we're, Hey, we're, listen, we're just, uh, you know, we're just, uh, victims of whatever Aries wants us to do. So it's all Aries fault. Like those are the kind of things that people would think. And so as part of that, you had to, you know, pay tribute to and, and show reverence for. And I think a lot of those superstitions might've come out of that, that, and also, you know, people like comfort, they like regularity, they like familiar familiarity. So if something works once, we're going to think that that's going to work all the time. Right. People are creatures of habit. A lot of people are. Oh, for sure. So um, if you, I mean, in your book, the book that's going to be re-re-re-released is. Is Is that an echo or did you say it about five times? I don't know. I'm not sure anymore. Uh, (laughs) Is is there one object that really stands out in your your mind that like, it's just like, oh, that's really freaky. So there, there were some pretty interesting ones. Um, I had a, a particular haunted doll that came to live with me for a few months while I was writing the book. Uh, my friend that owned it sent her to me and said, you know, she can stay with you while you're working on it. And then, you know, I'll take her back after. And that doll now resides in a box in a voodoo practitioner's home uh, to kind of protect everybody from it. So that was kind of okay. interesting. She, she would mess with the heat in my house. It was summertime when we were writing the book and I would go into my home office and the heat would be on and be up to 80 degrees. And I think it's because the doll came from Georgia. So she was used to like that nice hot weather. So she would try to make it warmer in there. But the story that really stands out in my mind more than anything was this story of a there was a a family from not that far from from where I am now uh, on the south coast of Massachusetts from a town called Westport. And they did not get along. The son was feuding with the mother and his sister over the family fortune. And it was just a, it was a really messed up situation. And he was a fisherman out of New Bedford. And he would uh, go out on fishing trips with a lot of the Brazilian fishermen that worked down there on on the docks. And he learned from them the practice of Macumba, which is a, a type of Brazilian voodoo. And he actually created this, this fish doll that he utilized as a as an avatar to cause problems for his mother and his sister. And eventually that negative energy that he put out came back on him and he got sick and died. Um, so it turned into this whole thing where the family was destroyed by this curse that this guy came up with. And and I, you know, I'm not somebody that really believes in curses, but when I heard this story, I said there either either there is something to this Macumba or they all believe that there was something to it enough that it that it had that effect right. on them. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's part of what curses and what superstition and what uh, you know haunted objects are is the people's own personal belief in them. Because I mean, I collect them, and and Steve Parson collect them. We each have them. We we really you know never had problems, except of course for the world-ending haunted picture on my wall right there. Uh, but other than that, uh, we we really haven't had problems with it. Do you think that we create our own uh, haunted objects, our own uh, curses. 
I do. I think a lot of the ghosts that we encounter are ones that we've created ourselves. You know, we go into these places that look like they're haunted or, you know, have a history that should lead to them being haunted. So when we go in there, we find ghosts. And how many of those are because the ghosts are there and actually exist? Or how many of them are because we've created them with our own mind and kind of either willed them into existence, which is, a, you know, an entirely possible thing, the idea of an egregore or a tulpa or a thought form? Or is it that we are actually the ones that are manipulating the environment with our own mind. So when we're saying, oh, if you're here, can you make it colder in the room or uh, can you slam that door or any of that? And then it turns out it's actually the collective subconscious of everybody that's in the room making that happen. You know, I think that that's pretty cool. I, I would like to know that I could have that ability, yeah. but people don't yeah, want right to explore now, the these alternate theories. Sub, the collective subconscious is telling us we have to take a break. So uh, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles right here on Toji.net, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Memory Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, the Clement, Messier Family Live Group, 15 High Street, North End of Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. We'll be right back after the following messages. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Located in Illinois, there lies a sleepy little town where nothing is a common occurrence. You going to that party in town tonight? Heck yeah! I only turned 18 once. That is until the night of celebration. Where the hell is she? Oh no. No, 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 Jessica! From the creators of Shadowhunters, fighting me, comes a tale of primal terror and grindcore mayhem. Shadowhunters, kill Jessica, kill! <laughs> Harry Price, I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. 
Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles right here on Tojanet and where all good podcasts are played. I am Ron Kolick, the other splendid chap. And with me, my co-host, the queen of pain herself, Maureen Wood. Hey, how you doing? Good. And our special guest tonight is the soon-to-be author of the re-released Haunted Objects. <laughs> Tim Weiss and, and the, you know, host of Spooky South Coast, can't leave that out. And the guy with the golden voice, Tim Weisberg. Well, I have to say, I'm impressed that you can get Harry Price to do bumpers for you. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, when you can talk to the dead, <laughs> it's easy, you know. My, my paranormal idol, Harry Price. Yeah. Was it really? Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't be doing what we do if it wasn't for him. He's the guy that brought the paranormal to the radio. This is true. This is very true. But uh, I, I didn't even know. You know, most Americans aren't even aware of him, to be honest with you. I know. I mean, it's it's sad. But, you know, if you if you were to make a Mount Rushmore of the paranormal, uh, you know, he'd be the first person I'd be carving because we wouldn't have the media presence for it if not for him. Uh, all the stuff that he did at Borley Rectory and just his approach. I mean, I, I will do a, in my presentations, I'll run. I have a, a 10 minute clip of, of Harry Price talking about, you know, a paranormal investigation in the 1940s. And I'll run that. And I'll get about three minutes in before I can see people starting to nod off. And then I have to kind of move on to the next thing. But I'm like, really? this is the guy that you should be listening to. I know. It's terrible. What are you going to do? Yeah. But he was, uh, yeah. Oh, if you like Harry Price, then you'll love this. I actually have a pair of his uh, glasses. Wow. That's really cool. Yes. Yes. Uh, Steve Parson, you know, from the UK is like, He's a big collector of Harry Price. He's got a lot of uh, his letters, got a lot of everything else. And uh, yeah, so he uh, gifted me the pair. And it's one of my prized possessions, quite frankly. So whenever, you know, I can put them on and I'm act- I think about it, I'm actually seeing the world as Harry Price, sir. Only it's different. Yeah, you can see you can see the phantasm through the lenses. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I just have me- objects... Uh, the only objects I have are from his cousin, Fisher Price. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, too funny. Yeah. Nothing from his daughter? No, what's her name? Uh, oh, never mind. Carry on. That was gone. Remember? Never mind. It was gone. No. Yeah, how'd you know? That's exactly what happened. <laughs> who played Who played Leah? Oh, uh, Carrie Fisher. There you go. Thank you. 
That 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 was a dead joke before it even started. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no resurrected that baby. <laughs> Anyways, uh, you know, have, you're right though. Uh, not only did he bring us that, but he also, you know, he brought. He was the one that wrote the 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 first manual for ghost hunting, I think. Anyways, and and uh, uh, you know, and actually looked at it as a as a more scientifically where where he would bring people in and they had guidelines to actually, you know, direct them what to do with stuff. And, but I mean, it was, it was pretty good. Uh, I, I was impressed with them, but like you said, most people, I said, most people don't really in America don't really know of him when they think the best ghost hunter, they always think of Zach Vegas, of course, but uh, you know, I, I don't even know if Harry gets mentioned. No, I mean, and the sad thing is, is even people who are like, well, I know all about the history of the paranormal. I go all the way back to Ed and Lorraine Warren. I'm like, huh? That's like saying, you know, uh, I go as far back in, uh, I go as far back in baseball as, you know, George Brett. Like, come on. Like, what, do you not know Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, uh, you know, Onus Wagner? You don't know any of these people. No, you just, you just know, you know, the people that came from the 70s on. Yeah. yeah sad. So sad. And when you think about it, I mean, Steve is uh, is a council member for the SBR, which is the oldest uh, uh, cycle region, psych, oh, psychology. Never mind. Well, one of those places, one of the oldest in the in the in the world, uh, along with the Ghost Club in in London. So you know, it's it's amazing. They have, like Steve That's says, parapsychology. Yeah, they they have they have doorknobs door over in the UK older than our country, so yeah, that's that's it's amazing. But anyway, uh, so Tim, the I mean, you have been doing this eighteen years, Spooky South Coast, interviewed like a trillion people on the show, and and what was your most was your most? It was Yekko again. again. What the hell? What the- who is your most interesting? <laughs> I mean, we we've had some pretty memorable episodes over the years. I think the ones that people bring up the most are when we had on um, Commander Sonny Sito, who claimed to be the reincarnated Roswell alien that died in the crash, oh uh, and then she got into an argument with Matt Moniz about um, the actual physics involved with the the, the crash and everything because. Uh, he he was not going to put up with somebody that didn't have good scientific information. The problem is we found out years later that the person who believed that they were Commander San Isidro, um actually has some some issues. So we were like, okay, let's not really poke fun at her anymore. Uh, and then, of course, we had a guy on, I think his name was Richard Brown, but he claimed to be the reincarnated Jesus Christ, which was um, pretty interesting when he said he was going to start his own country and only allow certain people to try to be uh, members of that country and to be allowed to be saved when the rest of the world got destroyed. And I, I said, that's not very Jesus-like of you, but, uh, you know, he, he was I in know. it for the money, I, I guess. Well, yeah, is there a movie like that terrible. called Left Behind? <laughs> there, there's I think Left Behind like had that. more, yeah, that had more heart to it than this guy had. That's More heart, sure. yeah. People just went missing, right? And it was supposed to be all the good people were taken and Jesus took the good people and then all the, the people who were going to suffer are the ones that were left. Yeah, this guy was only going to take the people that paid him a lot of money. Oh, well, isn't that nice? Yeah. Yeah, not very Jesus-like at all. Yeah. I mean, that. so 
what, what's your thoughts on psychics? I mean, because it seems like every time, you know, something happens or a famous person dies, somebody's going to contact them right away. I mean, you and look at, remember that stupid line? Well, I'm sorry for those people, but uh, do you remember those, uh, that lion that was killed by the dentist and the dentist almost got run out of, out of the country? Uh, there was somebody that actually channeled the, the lion, and I real, never realized that the I, lion was such a great philosopher. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> what the? How do how do we how do we put up with that stuff? I'm just saying. I mean, I didn't believe anything that the lion was sa- was saying anyway, because it's I mean, it's right in his name. He's lion, but um, oh. I think that the <laughs> so the 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 I have changed my mind about psychics over the years. Um, and, and Maureen, you've, you know, we've been talking for a long time. You know that I was, you know, skeptical about a lot of the stuff in the early days, but having a, a psychic medium for a best friend now with Stephanie Burke, I really had my eyes opened up to the fact that this stuff is real and it does happen. And just like you have both experienced on your adventures together, you know, you start to realize that it's, it's going to happen and there's, there's not always an explanation for it. But I have also learned too, that there are some people who, just have that little bit of it and, or don't have it at all, but still want to try to portray it as something more than it is. So I, I've always used an analogy um, in my, in my discussions where I talk about, you know, anybody can pick up a football and throw it, but not everybody can be Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady was born with a natural ability better than a lot of people. And then he also worked super hard at it every day. And you're going to have people who have psychic abilities and mediumship abilities who are going to have that little touch of it. And then you're going to have people that are going to take it, take that talent that they have and, and keep working at it and working at it. So I've learned that there are good ones, there are bad ones, um, and there is everything in between. But the the ones who try to contact those celebrities the moment they die, you know, I've I've cracked the code of what it is that they're trying to do, as, as most people have. Uh, you get a guy like, uh, you know, I'll just... I don't want to get you sued, so I won't say his name, but there's a certain guy who, you know, every time a celebrity dies within 24 hours, he has a YouTube video up of, of this celebrity coming through his box and giving a message. And the reason why he does that is because whenever a celebrity dies, what does everybody do? They run to YouTube and start watching videos of that celebrity and or looking for reports about that celebrity's death. And so having their name is high up in the algorithm, which gets him eyeballs, which gets revenue for him. So he's capitalizing on this person's death. And other people have taken the audio from some of these clips that he gets and realize that if you isolate the vocals, it's really just coming from another video that he pulled of that celebrity and manipulating their voice. So it's it's not even like it's a real fresh message. It's just him oh, wow. editing oh, wow. and running through this guitar amp uh, to make it sound more distorted. Ouch. Yeah, you've been also done a lot of paranormal investigation. You used to do the Lizzie Boyden house uh, many times in public events and, and other things. Uh, what location did you find was the most interesting for you? I've had so many different experiences in different places that um, it's hard for me to like say if there's one that I think is kind of better than the others. But mm-hmm. one place that I will always point out as, a, as, as somewhere where you can go and you have, I think, the greatest chance of having something happen is uh, the Oliver Estate in Middleborough, Massachusetts. There's a really? lot of activity there. Things always happen when I'm there. 
And the same woman who runs that place, Christy Parrish, yeah, she's now right. also running the Emory Estate in Weymouth, Massachusetts. And that's quickly turning into a place where it's just as, um, if not more, active than the Oliver Estate, where, you know, you just have these mind-blowing experiences where it might not translate to something that you could show somebody else and say, hey, look, ghosts are real. But when you go there and you experience it, you say, wow, I, I actually feel honored that these people have uh, who have moved on have decided to still interact with me because it it really is um it, it's one thing when you go into a haunted place and you get a, a reaction from a ghost because you went in there looking for it it's another thing when those ghosts know who you are and appreciate you and tell you that they appreciate you and ask for you when you're not there Th those are the things that make a real difference because then you realize oh i don't just have a a, a ghost i i have a friend mm -hmm. Yeah, because I remember uh, when you were at the Houghton Mansion and you did that handshake thing. Uh, that oh, was, that uh, was the that, th that was the event we did with uh, you, Jeff, and uh, myself and uh, Darkness Dave. I believe mm -hmm. the, the four of us were doing that, and uh, yeah, that was uh, I that I, that I had never even heard of it before. So I, I was kind of I didn't personally see it, but I you know I heard reports from people who did witness it and uh, it was quite interesting can you explain a little about it though because the listeners probably don't know neither do oh, I I'm sorry. so yeah i mean it was <laughs> just curious. that's the moment that i point to in my paranormal career as the moment that changed me as an investigator because before that i was kind of zackish for lack of a better term i would walk into a haunted haunted place and say okay ghosts you know, come out, show me you're here because I just didn't want to spend hours sitting around with nothing happening. So I tried to be, you know, kind of forceful in, in getting an, a reaction out of them. And then that was the, uh, we were in the, the Houghton mansion for those who don't know was a mansion that was built by the first mayor of North Adams, Massachusetts, but it was also then after his, his passing utilized as a Masonic lodge. And they actually built the hall, uh, in the middle of this mansion. And we were in a very back section, this like kind of secret passageway area. And we were watching these shadow people walk up and down the hallway all night long. I mean, walking right in front of us, walking right between us. And at the end of the night, there was one shadow figure standing way down at the end of the hallway by himself. And we coaxed him to come all the way down to where we were, probably about, you know, a 50, 50 foot walk down to where we are. And he eventually got right down in front of us. And I held out my hand and I asked him to give me like a fist bump because I'm thinking, you know, that's the easiest contact to make. And one of the gentlemen that was with me, Frank, he elbowed me and he said, no, no, shake his hand like a man. And so I put my hand out and I said, okay, will you shake my hand? And this shadow figure reached out, put his hand against my hand, you know, took my hand in his hand and started pumping my arm up and down in a handshake. And I just, I lost it. I started crying. I went down and I told everybody like I had been, you know, completely moved by this experience. And from that moment on, you know, I kind of latched on to the, it sounds cliche, but the idea that, you know, ghosts were people too, that there's, there's a human being on the other side of this in a lot of cases and you need to treat that human being the way that you would want to be treated if, if you were on the other side. Absolutely. I think that's an amazing story because it, it's very true. I mean, you know, especially for people, you talk about mediums doing readings, you're connecting with, you know, loved ones and you do readings for someone and, you know, you, you connect and feel the love and the emotions, right? Because you take that with you. Um, so I'm sure that that moment was touching for that spirit as well. Well, I, I never thought about it that way. I never thought about what he was feeling in, in that moment because I was just so overwhelmed with what I felt. 
but to me, it it showed that, you know, because if, if you look at it from this perspective, if somebody walked into your front door uninvited, unannounced, just showed up one night and got right up in your face while you were like trying to watch TV and started yelling at you, what's your name? How did you die? You know, you'd be like, what a jerk. Get out of my house. Like, why would I want to engage with you? Why would I want to talk to you? And the more that you realize, you know, what do ghosts like to talk about? They like to talk about themselves, just like living people do. They want to give their opinions on things. They want to give their thoughts. I used to think my co-host Matt Moniz was crazy because we do an EVP session somewhere and his questions would be, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite food? And I'm like, come on, man. We're trying to find out who's here and how they died. And he's like, well, but if you want to build a rapport with somebody, get them to talk about their favorite thing, which is their self. Everybody loves to talk about their, their favorites about things. So that's how he would, you know, kind of break the ice. And I learned a lot from watching him do that. Yeah. I, I found that the people that, that have the more respect for ghosts get the, actually the best EVPs. I mean, people like, uh, Mark Nesbitt from uh, Gettysburg. I mean, I see. I mean, he's very respectful, and and he gets some amazing EVPs. And uh, there are other ones that I know that, that, that do it the same way. So I want to go back to another incident that uh, I was with you, not physically with you, but there the same night, and arrived shortly after. And that was at Fort Tabor, and there was a a huge noise while you guys were investigating. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was a crazy night. So Fort Tabor is a a Civil War era fort in New Bedford, Massachusetts. Um, And there's a battery that's on the property where uh, it's actually kind of dug out of the side of a hill. So where we were was underground. And when we were walking in, a friend of ours who who's a psychic was walking out and she's like, there's a, a, a young man in the very middle of this whole like area and he's crouching down and covering his head like he's uh, like he's in trouble or something like he's hurt or he's sad or he's crying. So you might want to go try to contact him and see if he has anything to say. So we went into this area where we're trying to talk to the spirit and all of a sudden it just sounded like the roof was caving in on us. And we all screamed, we're swearing, we're yelling because we thought we were going to get crushed. We're, we're underground in this tunnel. We thought we were dead. And after the noise stopped, we looked up and we looked around and we couldn't see anything that would have caused the noise. It was directly over our head, but there was nothing there that would have would have caused this sound. And it took a little while to figure it out. But what we realized was this was the battery where they kept all the cannonballs for the cannons that were on top of this hill that were so loud that when they set them off for the very first time to test them, they shattered all the windows, all the china, everything around. And so the residents said, please don't ever fire those again unless it's absolutely necessary. So what really happened is the reason why this guy was ducking down and and cowering in the corner wasn't because he was in trouble or scared or anything. It's because he knew there was a fire in the hole. And what we caught was phantom cannon fire. And once we realized that, we were like, what an experience to have gone through that and to to have it be, you know, that present in our realm and our time that, you know, we thought we were going to die from it. See, I heard the you audio of that. just hit at the right moment. I heard the audio of that, Tim, and it was quite amazing, but I, I never heard the rest of the story. I didn't, I wasn't aware of the uh, the cannonball thing. I only heard, like I said, I only heard the audio, which in itself is quite impressive. 
so that makes even more sense, though, that, that you've done some research on it and you've learned about it. So do you do a lot of research on what's what your own events, your own experiences? Excuse me. Yeah, I mean, I'm a history nerd, so like I want to know all the stuff that I can. And and even if I, you know, I'm not afraid of walking away and saying something's a mystery. I don't need to find answers all the time. Sometimes I can just walk away and say, I had the experience, there was a reason for it, and I can just move on and be happy with that. But then the people who run the um, the location will reach out and say, well, I did a little bit more digging. And then they'll come up with an answer. And when you have that happen, when you find out what the the connection might be to the experience that you had. To me, that just solidifies things even more because it means it's not a random event because a lot of these haunted places that we go to, they could just be places where the veil is thinner, so to speak. And so any type of activity can come through when you have something that directly relates to the location. That's when you know that there is some reason why uh, the energy that we leave in a place can remain behind and and still be able to be felt and, and resonate, you know, decades and centuries later. But how much of that, I mean, this this has always been a problem for me. So like for instance, EVPs, you, you most EVPs, quite frankly, nowadays are, are single words or, or whatever, but, and, and the people really grasp at, at them. I mean, like for instance, girl, and they'll say, "Oh, there was a girl in the house." Is that echo? Is that echo? What the hell? But uh, but, uh, oh, shit, shit. So, so, so how much? So how much? Somebody, somebody, take over. <laughs> I can't stand it. Okay, so take over. Um. All right, I don't know where you're going with that one. Okay, I can. I'm back again. <laughs> but no, I have no reason why <laughs> that damn picture. You're gonna burn. <laughs> Go sign the book. <laughs> Just write your name in it at this point. Doesn't even matter if it's your signature. Write anybody's name. Yeah, exactly. Maybe you put your picture in the book. Take a snapshot of yourself and print it. Oh. And put it in the book. I'll stick my butt in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no thanks. <laughs> anyway, finish your thought. Yes. So, Tim, uh, you know, like EVPs, you see a girl and they'll say, oh, there was a girl that died in the house. So that must be her. Oh, that's telling me. How much of that are we really grasping that to want to make sense of it versus too much? Yeah, too much. There's 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 too many people that go out and try to create the narrative before they've gotten all the information. So they they're immediately trying. And it's because, you know, people don't like a mystery. They like to, to, to solve a mystery. So they're going to take every little bit and piece that they get and they're going to try to start piecing it all together to make it make sense because nobody wants to think that these things are random. And I think that the problem is, is if you go in there with a preconceived notion or if you start trying to make a narrative out of what you're getting before you have all the information, you could just be missing the boat completely. You could be missing what the actual real story is that they're trying to tell you. And, uh, you know, as a journalist, which, you know, that being my day job, I know how to let other people tell the story. And I know how to also, you know, figure out the story as I go along rather than have to sit and look at all the pieces later. So I can kind of utilize those skills to be able to, to keep the conversation flowing in the right way, but without having to try to force what I think the story is on it. Mm-hmm. So do you, do you always, do you, I mean, when you look at it, when you have it, a paranormal experience do you look you must look at it two ways you must look at it historically and then you must look at it 
on the more scientific end or, or, or you don't? I mean, I do. I try to I try to figure out what it could be and what could be causing it. But at the same time, I also don't want to discount it as an experience, because even if there's an experience that can be explained, um, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a reason that it happened. So you could say, OK, well, that was just, you know, this happening at that particular moment, you know, like maybe the house settling or the heat coming on. OK, but why did it happen right in that particular moment? Let's kind of count and see, you know, does it come on in regular intervals? Uh, there's 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 I'm learning that there's more to these experiences than just being able to easily wipe them away and, de and debunk them and dismiss them. Absolutely. I mean, Ron, how many times did we did when we did a show, for instance, on signs, right? Um, the signs you get from the other side. So oh, really? I think that was one of our, well, no, but I think that was one of those shows that so many people reached out about because they were experiencing the things they couldn't make sense. And again, it's not something you're looking for, but it's things that show up and it's either, you know, you're drawn to it, but it's when you're talking about it signs, it's just there. I think if you try to make something happen, you can, but that doesn't mean, you know, co like coincidence. How many times do you say it's a coincidence it takes place? But it's, is it's it, personal, is it belief, personal belief means so much to it. That's what really makes it. People want to see signs. So they, I want to talk to my mom. I never get to say goodbye. I, I miss her, whatever. I mean, so I find a penny. So that's that's a message for her. Yeah, that, so but it's we, the we timing of it. I don't. Well, and I think that's I, what Tim was about going for, We are out of time, so we have to carry oh, no. another show. <laughs> <laughs> you Tim, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. And, and, Thanks, uh, Tim living through this madness, whatever it was. <laughs> well, thank you both for yes. having me. Thank you. And once again, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that? Uh, SpookySouthCoast.com, Midnight.fm, and you can just follow me on social media at Tim Weisberg. And where can they listen to Spooky South Coast? You can get it wherever you get your podcast from and then live Saturday nights from the WBSM app and WBSM.com. There you go. Tim, thank you very much. You've been listening to Ghost Chronicles right here on Tojanet, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Bethune, Massachusetts, the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, nothing to Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Become a member for a mere three bucks a month, like Kimber just did, and get access to over 50 exclusive videos. Good night, everyone, and God bless. Good night, God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord. Mm -hmm.